Good to be with you this evening, and um, it's been an interesting, a busy day. I was at Hook this afternoon, uh, where they just opened their new building, which is very exciting for the little Hook Church. It's not that big, um, about 60, well, 70 or so people, but they've just nearly a million pound project. They've got this uh, very nice building that we were there. Uh, yes, yeah, thanks, guys. Just giving the notes out for tonight while well, I just uh, tell you that. And uh, it's good to see them going on well, given all the, you know, this is something that's in Dave Colbrook's heart. Dave Colbrook originally was one of the elders here. Many of you might not know that. And he went up there, led the Hook Church. Later, he's married to Ange and got three children, but sadly contracted motor neuron disease and, and died, in a sense, in, uh, prematurely, just this, at 50, about the age of 50, a couple of years ago. And uh, he had in his heart this building project, but the, the team under David have taken it on and, and it's happened. And it's very exciting to see what God's doing with them there. It's great. And so that's an encouragement. And it's sort of indirect, a little bit of fruit from here, really. Dave Colbrook sent up there. So it's good to see things going on all the time, everywhere. Um, I referred to some of it this morning. We're going to uh, continue exploring the kingdom of God. I won't go at all over what I said the first time because it was obviously quite a lot then but the kingdom is mentioned all through the Old Testament uh, about the kingdom of God and anticipated but as we saw towards the end of what we were saying last time Jesus was the supreme manifestation of the kingdom reflecting it in his character bringing an authority and a, a taste as it were of the kingdom of God he identified with the kingdom and he did the works of the kingdom, which is the poor receive good news, prisoners hear about freedom, the blind receive their sight, oppressed release, time of God's favours proclaimed, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, death here, dead are raised, demons are expelled, salvation, release, healing and deliverance. And Jesus introduced the kingdom of God in a new way, in a much more complete way. Uh, the kingdom of God, I think, can be seen as God's people in God's place under God's rule, expressing God's will. And that's much more possible since Jesus came. And actually, the Old Testament uh, predicted that something great would happen when, uh, when Jesus came. We're going to uh, look at some scriptures. This is the first one. Just quickly, I mean, these will be just quick to flick, say, turning to them. Isaiah says, for, un- for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder. He'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You hear this one at Christmas, don't you, this reading? Of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So Isaiah predicted this time when, with the arrival of uh, the Messiah, special child born uh, of a virgin, the, 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 the kingdom of God, the government of God, would be introduced in a way that would be eternal and unending. Daniel predicted it in his strange prophecy, or he didn't, it was the, uh, uh, the dream of a pagan king, which was interpreted, it wasn't strange, it was a sort of vivid, vivid dream, really, of this great idol of all the different empires, and then a rock cut out without hands, came and hit the feet and, and grew into a mountain. And he said, that was God's kingdom. While you were watching, this is a couple of extracts from that, that passage, Daniel 2, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. 
In the time of those kings, that's the kingdom in which I think you could say would be the Roman times, in the times when there was a mixture there in the iron and the clay, those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. That it, it will itself endure forever. Prediction that when Jesus came, that rock cut out without hands, the rock without a, a human origin, he would begin to shake the kingdoms of this world and establish the kingdom of God that would never be destroyed. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Everything changed when Jesus came. And it's never been the same since. God's purpose is clear. It's not fully fulfilled yet, but this is it. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. As I say, there's a lot of scriptures, but they'll all be on the screen, so it's safe turning around. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment. This is God's purpose, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. So the kingdom of God has begun, the, the stone hits the, hits the idols and begins to shake them up and begins to grow. The goal is clear, it's this, that all things in heaven and earth come under one head, even Christ. But we do live in a tension time. The process has begun with Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension, but it is not yet complete. So the thing about the kingdom which we have to tussle with is this present future tension. What happens now, already, and what is not yet? So the, the stuff's still to come. If you look at one example in, a, in 1 Corinthians 15, here look, here's a taste of that. It's talking about the future, which hasn't yet happened. Christ will come as the first fruits when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of, to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So there's a sense in which there is something way beyond what we experience, which is still to happen, when Jesus returns and brings all things together uh, under his rule, hands it over to the Father, the last enemy to be destroyed is death, with the full manifestation of the kingdom of God in that age to come. When the risen, ascended Jesus returns as judge, wraps up history, brings in a new heavens, a new earth. Every knee bows to him, every tongue confesses Jesus is Lord. But actually now, that isn't yet happening. Now we're in a, an anticipation, a bit of an overlap, but it's not yet occurred. We actually live in a conflict time, where there is a clash of kingdoms. Analogy which I think I've used, I believe I've heard Steve use it, I think it's a very appropriate one, is the difference between D-Day and VE-Day at the end of the Second World War. D-Day was when the Allies invaded Europe and frankly the end of Nazi rule in, in, in Europe was inevitable. I, I mean already it was inevitable as soon as they invaded. But in actual fact many battles were to be fought. In fact I think the Battle of the Bulge which was after the D-Day was the battle of the Second World War with the most casualties, the most uh, people died in it. So there were many things to happen. There were some reverses as well as successes before VE Day, which was when there was total victory in Europe. And there's a sense in which when Jesus came and died and rose again and went back to heaven, ascended the Father, poured out the Holy Spirit, it was very much D-Day. That was the invasion of the Kingdom of God on earth. 
But we are still between D-Day and V-E-Day. V-E-Day is when Jesus comes back, when all enemies are under his feet and the last enemy, death, is dealt with. And we are still in a period where there is conflict, there's a clash of kingdoms. The final result is without any doubt, he will reign. The increase in his government, peace, there'll be no end. Absolutely none. And in fact, despite all the ways our own culture talks about it, there has been extraordinary progress in 2,000 years. I've told you some of these statistics before. They're just simple little ones that illustrate the point. In the year 1000 AD, uh, one in 100 of the people on the planet, if you'd been able to ask them, would have called themselves a Christian. And, that would have, and we're using the most general terms, Christian country sort of thing. But in the year 2000 AD, one in ten people on the planet would call themselves a Christian if you said to them, you know, what's your religion? So actually, the progress has gone on. In fact, it's quite um, remarkable progress in the last 150, 200 years. Countries which would not have known the gospel, like Korea, southern Korea, had the biggest churches in the world. And places like the Philippines, places like South America, and many other places, China, more Christians in China than the whole of Western Europe put together now. Uh, okay, it's a big country, I know that, but we're talking millions upon millions of Christians and uh, all sorts of things going on in our world just because we're in a little bit of a, a strange place here with the secularist uh, domination of, of Britain. We can forget this. But actually the kingdom of God continues to progress rather like that mountain shaking the kingdoms and growing. But the conflict is very much still going on. It's not yet over. We're in this age of the Spirit, where the Kingdom is coming in power. It's interesting just talking about the Spirit, because in the Old Testament, Satan is not seen much. It's quite interesting. The Kingdom of Darkness is not talked about much. It's a different era. It's an era of law. It's an era of significant restriction, if I'm honest, the Old Covenant. The better covenant is the New Covenant. Much has changed since Jesus came. And uh, one of the things that's changed is that we are very clear about the nature of the spiritual battle. Right from the moment when Jesus came to earth and started ministering, demons screamed out in the synagogues. don't have any record of that happening when David was doing stuff or Joshua. Now, I'm sure demonic activity was very active, actually, in all sorts of ways, but there was a sense in which it was veiled compared to when Jesus invaded. Something is really going on now. The whole thing is like up out in the open. There is a clash between the dominion of darkness and the kingdom of God. And the shaking has begun. The kingdom of God brings a now dynamic of the presence of God and the power of the Spirit. And uh, it's a worldwide process whereby there is a redemptive act of, of Jesus that's spreading like yeast through the whole lump. It doesn't mean everybody will be saved, sadly, I don't think, but it's, it means every nation will be touched and every tribe and nation and tongue will have representatives in heaven. And uh, the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom, will be preached in the whole world before the end has come. Let's have a look at a passage in Matthew for a moment. This is an interesting passage. Here we, there we are, just to read it. This is Jesus. He says, I tell you a truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, it's an interchangeable phrase, is greater than he, John the Baptist. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing 
and forceful men lay hold of it. That in itself is a very interesting passage. You see, what I think Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God has now come in a far greater way than ever before. We, in this era, are not in ourselves better people than John the Baptist. This greatness is more to do with what God's doing, the closeness to Jesus, the enjoyment of, for example, the Holy Spirit. After Jesus come and died and risen again in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit's poured on all flesh, in terms of anybody, male, female, young, old, slave, free, Gentile, Jew, can prophesy, be filled with the Spirit, actually doing things way beyond what many of the Old Testament saints would do themselves. So that, the privilege of living now after Jesus is amazing. And, and, and almost the least one is greater, not in their own inherent worth, but greater in what they enjoy and can do than John the Baptist. And then he goes on to say, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. This is an interesting sort of um, phrase, and I, I, I'm not an expert in the languages, but reading some commentaries, some of them say, it's sort of saying this, since John the Baptist, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and suffers violence or is forcefully opposed. It's making the point, we are in a battle time, a battle zone. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing, but it also suffers violence, which is the sense there, it's forcefully opposed. We must not be surprised at spiritual conflict in our lives. We must not be naive about it. The devil hates what's happening. Again, using our analogy of the Second World War, there was a desperation to the attack on Allied forces by, for example, the Nazi forces. Because they knew, in a sense, the end was coming. There was, in the end, nothing to lose. There's a, there's a, a desire for revenge. There's a, there's a desperation to survive. There's a hatred of the enemy that is rolling you back. So actually things are almost more terrible in some way. And there is an aspect of that which is true for us, that the conflict is quite ferocious. We are forcefully advancing, but the enemy forcefully opposes. That means this is not an age for passivity. This is not an age for Christians to be dopey and asleep. We have to be watchful and vigilant and awake, forceful people, grasp the kingdom and advance it, because there is forceful opposition. We need to be people of purpose, people who forcefully get hold of what we're looking at and advance the kingdom. And that needs to be applied at every level. We're not passive about our personal lives. We want to change. We want the Spirit of God filling our lives. We want to be free from condemnation, guilt and bondage. We want to obey God. We want to bring every thought in submission to Christ. Socially, we want to be people who are righteous and honest and, and show, uh, live like children of light in a dark age. In church, the church isn't a whole deal of the kingdom, but the church wants to bring the kingdom in, to, to advance the kingdom, to preach it, to demonstrate it with words, works and wonders. We're not content with just words. We want to see signs and wonders. We want to see the sick healed. We want to see demons expelled. We realise there are demons, they do need expulsion. In society, we want to bring influence of the ways of God, justice, freedom, liberty, reconciliation. Every front we want to forcefully advance. Every front, bring the kingdom. Everywhere. Claiming ground that God has promised us, won by the blood of Jesus, kicking out the devil and his influence, drawing the future into the present, 
bringing a taste of the future age to now. That's what we do. We are people of the kingdom. We're people of the age to come and we have ourselves a taste of it now and we actually bring that taste to those around us. We bring in the kingdom. It's not a time for passivity. The, the kingdom is advanced both in our own lives and in our culture, in our church, only through forceful people, men and women who take hold of God's ways and go forward, have almost a holy violence against sin and Satan and his ways, wrestle them, wear the armour of of God and wrestle against the principalities and powers. There is going to be no end to the conflict till we either die or Jesus comes back and the kingdom comes in its fullness. That's when the conflict ends. So when you become a Christian, you come from one kingdom into another. You come out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God. You belong to Jesus and he's your king and you are his subject. Now, if you're brought up in any kingdom, like this kingdom, United Kingdom, it shows the way you speak, the way you behave and and lots of things about your life, lots of incidental things would show that you, you belong to this kingdom. Now that's how it should be and we'll unpack that a little more later on probably next time in many ways but that's how it should be for Christians that we demonstrate we're people of this kingdom of the age to come actually and we bring a taste of something different in our lives we got this something different thing and it's all about that that's the whole point of it that we are different of a different kingdom and demonstrating a difference we're called to that Jesus was a kingdom person and uh, he said that we would behave and do the things he did. He said it in a remarkable way. His example, John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I think Jesus was talking about signs and wonders, but he was talking about the whole thing, that we would walk as he would walk, that in a corporate sense, we would be a corporate Christ and we would do what he did and even more so. It is incredible stuff. Now, the kingdom is still not here in fullness because even the people Jesus healed did die physically. Lazarus died twice in his life. How weird is that? He died once, Jesus brought him back to heaven. He's not alive today, he's in heaven because he died again. Because he's, but one day he'll have a new body. I mean, he'll get used to it, won't he? Oh, I would go again. Oh, I'm up again now. So one day he'll, <laughs> one day he'll have a new body um, and, and, you know, it won't then die again. Even that, even Jesus shows that with his miracles that, that things aren't complete yet. So it's not surprising we sometimes struggle in this in-between time. You know, we don't see the fullness of the healing we want. We don't always get it right. We are being contended on every foot. You just need to know, when you're trying to be righteous, when you're trying to see people healed, when you're trying to share the gospel, you are in warfare. Your every inch is being fought for. Like, I described, fighting across Europe to get rid of Nazi uh, rule. You know, every bridge was fought for, every river. And it's a bit like that for us. And it's not surprising we have some conflict and some uncertainties and some half. And we have to be in the flow of God's kingdom to even have success. If we start messing about and playing about with the dominion of darkness's ways, we're inevitably going to have some big failures. There's a real tension between now and not yet. 
The kingdom is breaking out now. We get tastes of the age to come. Healings, deliverances, righteousness coming through, but not the perfection and the wholeness that we look for one day. Even though we won't get the whole thing until Jesus comes back, we are encouraged to, take, to get lay hold of as much as possible. Often the church has been passive and said, because it all is in the age to come, we'll, we'll just sort of, um, you know, we won't, we'll be very uh, passive and we'll be very uh, accepting of all sorts of troubles, you know, except we won't pray for the sick, won't, you know, we'll expect to be dogged by sin and, uh, and under its power until, until we die. And when, which is not a bit biblical attitude. The attitude should be we are pressing on and pressing forward in every area and getting as much as we can of the kingdom in this age, commanding things in prayer, spirit-inspired actions and activity, using the gifts of the spirit to advance the kingdom. Jesus taught his disciples to pray this, very familiar few lines, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the fundamental prayer of Jesus' disciples. And I think it's got a multi-level of application. You're praying for the final big deal. You say, Lord, we want you to come back and wrap it all up and establish the new heavens and new earth. But even with that in mind, we're also praying right now, let your kingdom come in my family, in my situation, in this situation I'm praying for. Let your will be done. Let it be as if it on heaven, on, on earth. And we know in heaven there's no sickness, for example. We know in heaven there's no sin. And Lord, we're looking for that to be applied. We're looking for your kingdom to come here. I think there's a future dimension and a now dimension even to that prayer. Uh, Now, the fullness of the kingdom at the end of the age will be remarkable. We're going to just uh, get a flavour of that. I want you to enjoy this tonight. I'm going to talk a bit about the fullness of the kingdom where we're going, all of us, in Christ. And uh, I'm going to even talk a bit about heaven and things. And then we might do a little bit more, come back to the now stuff, but I might do a little more on the now one in the last talk. We will have a bit of time on it, but what what are we doing now? What are we expecting now? What are we working out now in all sorts of areas? So I want to just say, let's look at at where we're going and the fullness that's coming. Look at these... uh, there's some, uh, first of all, there's this one in, verse, in Acts, Acts 3, 21. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. This is the big promise of the kingdom. God is going to restore everything. Jesus is remaining in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he has promised from long ago. The glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. He is going to restore everything. Romans 8, 22-23 tells us, the whole of creation is groaning, waiting for this event. Creation has been affected by man's fall. The kingdom of darkness affects everything. And there's even a conflict in creation. It's full of all sorts of tensions and things that aren't as they should be. And it's waiting for the restoration of all things. The whole of creation will be transformed in the final phase when the new heavens and new earth are established. I've got a whole list of scriptures. They might be in your notes. We're not going to look at any of them. But when the kingdom comes in fullness, then evil will be totally overthrown and the whole of creation 
will be released from the bondage to decay. Everything will be made whole and new. Look at this from Revelation 21. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. In the end, God's kingdom will dominate everything. The government is on his shoulders. All things will be under Christ. And all things will be new. They will be as they should be. Whole and new when the kingdom comes in fullness. The whole work of Jesus on the cross will be brought to completeness. No more sorrow, no more sighing, no more crying, no more sickness. A universal reign of Jesus. Then the end will come, 1 Corinthians 15, when he hands over the kingdom of God, sorry, the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The end comes then when Jesus puts all enemies under his feet. Now Jesus is reigning now and he will continue to see the increase of his government until this point's reached when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. And Christ's righteousness will fill the whole universe. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, this is where we're going folks, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. That's the goal. The process has already started. The stone has long ago hit the ground. The, 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 the kingdoms of this earth are beginning to shake. The mountain is beginning to grow. And in the end, this is where it will be. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. Another taste from Revelation. This will be the song of the whole universe. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. That's where it's going. Every creature, the song of the universe will be this. We will be saved in entirety forever. Body, soul and spirit and reigning with him. I'd like us to talk a bit about that. This is where we're talking now, not dreams, not fantasies, we're talking where we're headed. Now, some of it is in, dream, not dreamlike, it's in um, picture language, it's in dramatic, sort of apocryphal language, but it's talking about truth, where we're headed. And here's one of the surprising things, we often talk about heaven as though it's something floating about. On, this is an awful caricature that to be in heaven is either to be in an eternal praise meeting or to be floating on a cloud playing a harp. Absolute nonsense. The future heaven will be on earth. Let's just read these verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. Now I'm not sure that even means water. I mean, I like the beach, and I'm sure God's going to allow us to have the beach. It's possibly to do with turmoil in the nations, because you're dealing with revelation here, and usually the sea means turmoil in the nations, and, and, and rebellion and conflict. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. If you needed to know that this is picture language, you only needed to look at that sentence, didn't you? He saw the holy city coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, dressed as like a husband. I mean, what is that? Like, you know, my dress, this great city comes down, but it's actually dressed like a woman with a dress on it. Come on. It's all symbolic. It's all powerful, amazing, mysterious, prophetic pictures. But I tell you what it's telling us, heaven comes down to earth. The new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and the bride is on earth. The kingdom comes here. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The old order has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. We are the beginnings of a new creation. We have the foretaste of it, just like the hors d'oeuvres. The best we have is the hors d'oeuvres. There's the whole deal to come, the whole meal. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. After that moment when Jesus returns, the final judgment, who knows how that will be and how long it will take, There's a sense of immediacy about it when you read the Bible. God will create a new heavens and a new earth. And God's dwelling place will be on earth. It's as though God brings his centre of operations to a renewed earth. Now God isn't limited and never has been and never will be. He's got no beginning, no end. He's eternal I am. He starts everything else. He doesn't start himself. He is without limits. But in a way the centre of his power, the centre of his throne... His dwelling place, his Jerusalem, will be on earth. He's going to renew the earth. He's always loved the earth. Funny little planet, stuck amongst billions of others. But it depends on your perspective about it, you see. If you, if you were in the, the operations room of heaven, on one wall you might have the physical map of God's universe, in which case the earth is going to be very hard to find. It's going to be a little speck right down there somewhere. But on this wall you have a totally different map and the earth seems very big and lots of colour because this is a map about where God's love is focused. It's about where God's image is reflected. It's about where spiritual things are happening. It's about where conflict is happening. It's about uh, where love and hate and, and righteousness and holy, you know, it's, it's, it's about that stuff and in which case the earth features very large. I mean, this isn't a problem to God. It's not like just it all has to happen on the biggest planet in the universe. God just doesn't operate like we operate. And earth is very important because of who's on it. Us, believe it or not, made in his image, who he loved and who not only rebelled against him and spat in his face, he loved them so much that his son became one of the creatures that, of that planet, became a man and died for them and, 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 and bore their pain and their shame. God has an intense, valuable interest in earth and the people on it, us. He's always had, and it's even more so, if I can put it that way, since the death and resurrection of Jesus. Earth is the centre of the spiritual universe and what goes on in it. The centre of interest. So the new Jerusalem will, sort of, as it were, come down on earth. The dwelling of God will be on earth. Heaven and earth will essentially become one in the new heavens and new earth. God's plan is to bring all things in heaven and earth under one head, even Christ. So we don't spend eternity floating on clouds, playing harps. You can play a harp if you're into that. 
we spend eternity in resurrection bodies. Now, these are glorious new bodies with the same character as Jesus' resurrection body. It'll be me, but with a Jesus quality of body. In other words, one that won't die, Jesus ate after the resurrection. He was solid, they could feel the wounds in his side, but he wasn't limited by the earth's dimensions really. You know, when he appears to the disciples, he doesn't come through the wall. It never says he came through the wall. He just appeared because he's coming in and out of heaven and earth. He's coming from one realm to the other effortlessly. For us, there's a huge veil and limitation. But there will come a day when all of that goes and the two overlap and heaven and earth, you move between them. Already, probably, that happens a lot more than we realise for the principalities and powers and the angels. But for us, it's a big gap. But when Jesus was resurrected, he showed that the physical body can be a spiritual body. It was sown a a physical limited seed and it grew to what it should be, an eternal body. It's a, a body that's at home in heaven and at home on earth. And heaven is not vague. In fact, it's more real than earth. And I'll talk about that in a minute. In the future age, glorified believers will be in heaven by inhabiting a new earth and the new heavens and earth, really. I think the eternal state will be far more physical and substantial, listen, than life is now. I think where we are now is but a shadow of where one day we will experience, what we'll experience. Because heaven has always been the source and earth is the derivative. Earth is but a shadow of heaven. It's but a a reflection of it. And with sin and the curse removed, the new heavens and earth will be glorious and extravagant and whole in all sorts of wondrous ways. This poor old sin-sick world is but a pale reflection of what things are meant to be like. I don't believe heaven and earth have ever been opposites. Heaven and earth have always been overlapping circles that share some commonalities, but heaven is always far greater than earth. Let me just give you a couple of... uh, New Testament scriptures in Hebrews that illustrate this. There they are. Hebrews 9. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. Later verse. Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary, this is after he died and risen, that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Senses, look, he, he went into the real deal. It's not, it's here it's only a shadow. He went into the heaven itself, not just a copy. It's a bit mysterious, we don't see it all because we're not there yet. We only see through a glass darkly when we're here. But there's lots of interesting and fascinating hints in the Bible. I mean, lots of ways. God is the real father that all earthly fathers are meant to copy. Obviously they fail enormously. But fatherhood comes from God. It's his idea. You pick that up in scripture. And obviously the relationship between God and his people is a relationship that should set the model for marriage. Marriages, even the best of them, are a pale reflection of the intimacy and glory and the covenantal love between God and his people. You see, these things are much more substantial than our earthly reflections. Our best fellowship, our best communion and community is a pale reflection of the community of the Trinity and the koinonia of God himself. 
and the fellowship. They're all very pale reflections. But in the age to come, there'll be far more of the qualities matching up. That we will experience things as they are in heaven. We'll experience the community of heaven, the the, the love and, and intimacy of heaven. We'll experience something of the glory and power of it all with our new bodies and in our new situation, the new heavens and earth. It'll be far less of a gap between the two. In fact, maybe, who knows, if there'll be any gap at all. So in the age to come, the new heavens and new earth will have everything and anything that's good from this age, but all of it imaginably better. So I don't think we will lack excitement, we won't lack creativity, we won't lack fun, we won't lack fulfilment, we won't lack love, we won't lack experiences. It'll be everything but far greater. And it really is hard for us to understand it. And you get, when you talk about this, you get all the funny questions. I have the funny questions in my own head sometimes. You know, well, will there be sex in heaven and all that sort of thing? I'll ask it for you. There you go. And, and in a way, it's hard to answer to us what heaven will be like. I heard somebody, I read it somewhere or heard it somewhere. I think this is C.S. Lewis, what I'm about to say. He said, if you talk to a six-year-old about sex maybe a five or six year old, and say how wonderful it is and how glorious it is and how enjoyable, he might say to you, can you eat chocolate when you have sex? And you say, no, no, it's nothing to do with chocolate. Chocolate's not involved. Oh, I don't want to have sex then. Because the only thing he really enjoys is chocolate. And if, it, if sex doesn't involve chocolate, he can't see what you're on about. It's like, he's so... You don't mind this example, do you? I haven't offended you. So, anyway, blame C.S. Lewis. The point is... You can't quite understand what the age to come will be like. It is like talking to a six-year-old about things that are just so out, that all he can think is, well, this, I like Christmas and chocolate, so it must be a bit like that. Well, not really. <laughs> and and I, think, I think you have to accept that we are not going to be in a grey, boring, unfulfilled, uncreative thing. You know, there's nothing much to do except sing songs. It just is not remotely going to be like that. I would imagine there'll be all sorts of fascinating things to do. And the limits that we have now will be gone. Not only a sin, but even some of the physical limits. Witness the body of Christ, the risen body of Christ. Moving from one realm to another. Think of even the little foretaste, Philip, with his little sudden appearance somewhere else. It's going to be fun, isn't it? Star Trek, eat your heart out. It's just, you know, it's just a totally different realm. Where all that the angels can enjoy, but more so. Fascinating and wonderful. But heaven is a definite destination. Look at what Jesus said. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, to be where I am. Which is the main thing, is to be with Jesus. But I think there's a little hint there of a solidity to where we are. A sort of communal situation that has still within it individuality. Isn't it fascinating? You've got rooms, but it's like not, you know, sometimes it's mansions and you get all this talk, you know, do you get a mansion? Well, I don't know, but it seems to have that communal sense, but also a sense of independence to some degree of individuality, a fascinating little tiny touch on it. God's promises have always been about a restored earth. I think there's some in your notes, but all the way through Psalms, Isaiah, Isaiah Haggai, the promises really are about a new heavens and a new earth. They're not about floating on clouds. Jesus didn't die to make the best of a bad situation, to salvage what he could from the ruins. He died 
to make everything new and redeemed and restored. Everything renewed. The breadth and depth of Jesus' work is all things. Colossians 1.20 Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The work of the cross is to reconcile all things to God. It's not a salvage operation. Martin Lloyd-Jones, <coughs> writing on this, says this, just the area I'm talking about. This is a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Everything about the new heavens and new earth, the future, everything will be glorified, even nature itself. And that seems to me to be the biblical teaching about the eternal state. That what we call heaven is life in this perfect world as God intended humanity to live it. When he put Adam in paradise at the beginning, Adam fell and all fell with him. But men and women are meant to live in the body and will live in a glorified body, in a glorified world, and God will be with them. Like it was at the beginning, walking in the garden, but more so. Now the bodily resurrection is a vital part of it, a full and proper part of our salvation and redemption. And that is in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Like Jesus' resurrected bodies, our new bodies will be recognisable. Interesting, it's not quite, it seems, the same. In a sense, the two on the road to Emmaus didn't immediately recognise him. Uh, what, what, which one? Was it Mary who thought he was the gardener? Fascinating. I mean, people speculate, why was that? Well, if he had a completely renewed body, and really, although he had the scars, which he could show Tom, Thomas, it was actually completely radiant and fit. You know, he looked well and good and different. Although it was Jesus, they recognised him in the end when, the, when they saw, when they really concentrated, oh, it's Jesus. But you look, you look so much better. I mean, you know how people say, oh, you look well, you look so much younger, you look better. I think it's that sort of thing. It's like, it's a new body. And uh, it, it's a little taste of what we might enjoy. We will have, I believe, continued relationships with some of those we knew who are there with us. There are whole new possibilities to explore. There'll be continuity as well as newness. I think we'll live in dwellings. I think we will be eating and drinking. It talks about coming in and out of the city. It talks about ruling over cities, judging angels, reigning with Christ, with a a, a renewed universe to roam around. We'll certainly be worshipping God, but I don't think it'll just be like some eternal sort of sing-song. There'll be various creative ways of doing it. Singing will be there, I'm sure, or silence will be part of it. There'll be all sorts of expressions. There's clearly music in heaven. We'll be in the company of new and fabulous beings who we've never seen before, other aspects of God's creation. There is identity of nations in heaven. So there still seems to be some reflection of your culture or your nation, renewed completely and completely restored. Um, but of course God is the centre of all things and the light of all things and, and, and Jesus, they're the centre of everything, the Trinity and that will never lose its fascination for us throughout eternity. I believe we will retain our identities in heaven just as Jesus retained his identity when he rose again. After all, who else would we be? If John, a man on earth, is no longer John, if John grows, let's be specific, 
If John Groves, a man on earth, is no longer John Groves when he gets to heaven, then in fact John Groves did not go to heaven. See, I'm not being, that's right, isn't it? I must be John Groves. Must be, otherwise I'm not saved. It's a con. Uh, it's me. I've got an eternal spirit, an eternal soul. I may not be renewed, have a new body, but it's me that's saved. And, 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 and recognisable identity. Our body's perfect without sin. Spiritual, which doesn't mean limited like ghosts. It means, uh, it means unlimited in our holiness and walk with God. I think when I grasped this truth of the new heavens and the new earth and God restoring the earth, it, it really helped me see how God's going to use all the constituent parts that are on this earth to remake me. Because you can worry about cremation, but on the other hand, you can worry about being dead for a very long time because you can't find very much of people who've been buried a thousand years ago. Uh, Shakespeare reflected on uh, maybe, what did he say about Caesar? The dust of Caesar can be used to stop a bunghole in a barrel. I can't put it very well. I can't remember my Shakespeare very well. It's so many years ago. But basically, you know, that bit of mud you used to stop a hole might be a bit of Caesar. You'll stick it, you know. He's showing the mortality of man. It's about man's mortality, as Shakespeare does very powerfully in many ways. And, and, and in a sense, our dust just goes down the earth. But actually, I don't think anything's lost from God's point of view. You know, God's going to use the constituent parts of this planet to make a new earth and a new you and a new me. Now, I think our spiritual man will be with Jesus and it's almost like he'll form us round that. We will be absent from the body and our spirit's present with the Lord. But God is not content with that. That's an also halfway house. There is a coming back together when Jesus comes back with a new body and a whole new person. It's fascinating and it's true. We'll be ageless. I wonder what we'll be like. I'm speculating a bit. You know, will we be an optimum age? Well, Isaiah 11, 6 and 9 hints that there will be children in the new heaven and new earth. Will children be resurrected at the age they died and allowed to grow up to a certain optimum age? Will believing parents see their children grow up and play a role in their lives in the new heaven and new earth? Will opportunities lost and spoilt by sin in this world be able to be fulfilled in the age to come. Possibly, like with Jesus' resurrection, we'll see people slightly through different eyes. I mean, I think about it, really. I think, um, will, we see, will I see my mum and dad a bit as I remember them? Will I see them as my parents, sort of older than me, and will they see me as someone younger than them? I think, in some ways, we'll be ageless. You can't over-speculate, we're not told. But there will be an aspect of childlikeness to us all, everybody because there will be a total innocence. Sin has gone. Cynicism has gone. Suspicion has gone. Bitterness has gone. It's very hard to get your head around that. We so live in a world full of those things, all of us, that there will be almost a childlike quality to the whole thing. As Jesus said, the kingdom of God is for such as these. And he pointed to children. He's not talking about childishness. It's talking about childlikeness. And I think it was quite, quite a profound statement. There will be something innocent and open-eyed and unspoiled and unspoilable about our wonder and our attitude. Everything will be straightforward. No masks, no need for them. Just simple in that sense and yet enjoying everything. Not simplistic, not without brains, not without the ability to think, but with, without the sin and the cynicism. Amazing. It's going to be glorious. 
A perfect blend of holy maturity along with fun and childlikeness and gratitude and eagerness to learn and open emotions without anything to hide. I think relationships will be there but immeasurably different and deeper and more satisfying. This seems to be implied in the Bible. It's hard to dig it out but there will be friendships and relationships and a sense of community. I don't believe there'll be boredom at all, but I also believe there won't be unhealthy pressure. Amazing balance. It's just a world without sin. Jonathan Edwards said, the saints will be progressive in knowledge to all eternity. There is an eternal progress with new beauties always being discovered. Talking about the age to come. I expect us to be conscious of progress and of time in a sense, not limited by it. I don't think we'll be in a static sort of situation. We'll enjoy what we're doing. It seems there'll be a lot of feasting. And then you can ask, will it all be veggie? I suppose it will have to be, won't it, if there's no death. But I think it'll taste nice. It seems there'll be animals there. Be alright for some of you. I can live with that. Now, I like animals, actually. I really do. Just don't like them too domesticated and pooing in the street. But other than that, <laughs> no, I think there will be animals. That's every hint of that. It'll be a full rounded creation in the age to come. Isaiah 65 verse 25, one of the many that refers to that. There's no sin in heaven. The old order has passed away. So it won't be even like just Adam and Eve. It'll be new creations, a new order beyond wherever they were. It will not be stagnant or static fresh and developing forever. As we've already seen in John 14, a sense maybe of even individual dwellings and yet a part of community. Are we past our peak as individuals? No way. Our peak hasn't even begun yet. That will be in the age to come. The best is yet to be. God is a God of life. Everything about him is full of colour and life and energy. He's the source of all energy and life. How could this new heavens and new earth be anything other than incredibly exciting and full of energy and colour and light? Because that's what God's like. Glorious in all his ways. There's no way he's going to bring in an age which is an eternal existence of mental constriction or emotional impoverishment. There's no way the God we know could do that. The God who created this, which is sin-sick and battered, there's no way it could be anything other than glorious and more glorious. When I talk about this, another question I sometimes get, so I'm going to answer, ask it and answer it, is what about the loved ones who are in hell? Now, this is a tricky one. There's a suggestion of memory of past times, nations and cultures. But any memories we have, and I think we will have memories in heaven, are going to be completely refracted through the perspective of heaven. That's what you've got to understand. They're going to be completely refracted through the experience of the judgment. The judgment on us and our lives and our deeds. We will have a totally different perspective on everything we said and did, honestly. And I think we will be only too thankful for the grace of God. And there will be an equally change of perspective on everything else. The truth is... God will judge justly and all the angels, all the saints, all praise him for his righteous judgments in scripture. People are not hanging around saying, oh, that's a bit tough, that's a bit unfair. What do you mean that doing there? They all approve of his judgment. 
They all do. So, I mean, that is just a fact you've got to accept. So there will not be, that, I'm not saying there might not be some sorrow even, not, but it won't be crying and tears because we're told that. A little bit of, uh, perhaps at the judgment seat, I haven't a clue, I mustn't speculate. But the fact is, there will be no disagreement with the judgment of God. It will be seen to be just and true in all his ways. We will no longer have sneaking doubts about, is it really as bad as all that? Is that really fair? We won't be thinking like that. And this is a little bit of a difficult thought, but I think we have to face it. In a sense, in the, in the age to come, our loved ones, our community, will be those with us in the new heavens and new earth. And our love for God and for Jesus will be so all-consuming and so all-embracing, and it will embrace those who, with us, equally are part of that wonderful near of heaven that it will just completely alter our dynamic of the past and of others. I think you can get a taste of that now when you get saved, you come out of the kingdom of darkness and, and your new family of God becomes more intimate and close to you to some degree than your old family who maybe don't love, love God. And I'm not making a horrible statement, I'm talking amongst friends tonight, but it is a fact, it moves that way. And I think maybe in a far more intense way, people who we once knew will be people we once loved and once knew and the whole perspective will be totally different to what we might imagine as we are embracing this whole new life with God. But it is clearly stated in the Bible, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no mourning or crying or pain. And so hell's misery will not veto heaven's joy. That is just a fact. You can speculate, how will that work? I think it will work, because God will make it work. And I think our perspective will be totally different. We won't have our minds blanked, it's just we will understand things in a totally full way that we don't now. So the kingdom to come will be exciting and more glorious than we can imagine. A place of joy and creativity, wholeness and holiness. A restored universe. It is a great privilege to look forward to that. When will this end come? When will the end of the ages come? Here's a good verse. Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. (laughs) It's got some definition but not enough for you to get your chart out and work it out. I think it's fascinating what the Bible does say. Jesus goes back to heaven and he tells them, go into all the world, go to every nation and preach the good news. This is what he said in Matthew 24. Very clear. The gospel of the kingdom, we preach the whole world to all nations, then the end will come. We actually know what we can do to, in inverted commas, hasten the day of the Lord. It's to go forward with the gospel into the whole world. And in fact, this is the more clear marker of any in the Bible. And yet you find many Christians who get very excited about things that Jesus also said in Matthew 24 about wars and famines and earthquakes. And every time there's a couple of earthquakes or a famine, people go, oh, you know, it's near the end because there's war. But actually, if you read it, it's saying that that would be a characteristic, more or less, of the whole age. There may be an intensity towards the end, I'd accept that. But actually, a greater marker is, is the gospel going to the whole world. And that is one obviously provokes our actions. Not much you can do about earthquakes 
and pray for people and help people who are damaged. I'm all for that, showing compassion. You understand what I'm saying. But actually, what we can actively do something about is preach the gospel. And if there's anything that's related to the end, it's that. Jesus is very clear. In heaven, for several markers, there'll be representatives from every nation, tribe and tongue. This one that we just read, and then, you know, go into all the world with the gospel, preach it to every creature, and then they stand around looking up. The angels basically say, in Acts, beginning of Acts, get on with it, you know, what you staring up in heaven for. And we shouldn't be staring up into heaven thinking, when's he coming back? Let's get my chart out. We're meant to get on with it, which will in itself hasten the coming, sort of. Look at this, 2 Peter 3, 11 to 13. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, that is the renewing destruction of fire and purification that seems to be hinted at here. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt with heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. There is a sense in the judgment of God when Jesus comes back, the judgment day seems to have this fire element. And there seems to be a sense of a melting and reforming of the heavens and earth. That's all I can say. I don't understand any more than that. So new heavens and new earth reformed. Rather flood of water sort of destroyed and reformed the earth. And I think probably changed the climate and did a lot of other things. But this one is going to be even more total than that. And a reforming. But when you're looking for that day when there's new heavens and earth, what it provokes you to do is live holy and godly lives. And, we might add from other scriptures, preach the gospel. (laughs) That's the action to take when you're thinking about these things. That's the way to move things forward. And we move the kingdom forward by words, works and wonders. And I may not go into this this week because this is part, really, of what I want to say in the last week. And... uh, I feel I've slightly lingered over the heaven, but we don't often talk about it, do we? We don't often talk about it. Um, but let's just let's finish perhaps with this verse from Paul. He's talking about his daily attitude, sort of linked to what I've just been saying. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and miracles and through the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, or Illyricum, whatever it is, I have fully proclaimed the Gospel of Christ. Paul had this attitude that I, I mean, he doesn't use the word kingdom there, but I think he could do. I am looking to speak it and to do it all the way, wherever I go. I speak about Christ, I speak about his kingdom, I, I bring a taste of it with signs and miracles in the power of the Spirit. That's my goal. That's what I want to do wherever I go. And actually I think that's a healthy Christian attitude for this age that we're in. We'll pick up next time the words, works and wonders and some of the other things that are relevant to this age. But actually we aren't yet, we know where we're going and we know what's happening. We aren't there yet. What are we doing now? We're speeding the day of his coming by speaking kingdom, by living kingdom, by praying kingdom, by seeing signs and wonders, by declaring the good news of Jesus, by endeavouring to bring the gospel of the kingdom to every nation on the place, planet, place, planet, face of the planet. Every nation. Every person. We want them all to know. We want everyone to enjoy this new heavens and new earth. I don't think, sadly, they all will. But we want to try. We want everyone to know. Not only there is something coming, there's something now. 
I mean, that's where we're at. You can taste the kingdom now. You can taste eternity now. You can begin to live as a new creation. You can see your, the, the, the taste of the age to come affecting your personal life, your body, your mind, your family, every dynamic of your life. Taste it now. It is still incomplete. We're looking for that day when Jesus comes back. And there's a new heavens and new earth. The whole thing is reformed in a, like a cauldron of God's judgment. And he purifies everything out of his heavens and earth. And, and then there is a restoration of all things with new bodies which we enjoy in that new world. It's a good thing to look forward to. We don't often talk about it. Um, and I, although I, 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 I might have done a little more on the next bit, I'm pleased I haven't. I think we need to just enjoy the fact that we have a supernatural faith with a, a future expectation, which sometimes can be very this world orientated. And if you have this real hope in you, you will live differently. You'll live as citizens of heaven. You'll live with your eye on the future. You will live as pilgrims here. This isn't your permanent home. This isn't how you're going to be forever. This is only a sort of temporary tent pilgrim list existence. The full deal is much more than we have now. Amen. Let's stand. I think, let's, uh, sometimes you think, well, you have a question, and then I think, well, it's getting late. But also, I think sometimes we just need to let the truth sink in. I'd be happy to answer questions privately, by the way, if you want to come to me afterwards, that's fine. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have opened up incredible prospects for me. That one day I will see you face to face. One day I will be like you. I will be a totally renewed John Groats. I'll have a new body but I'll be uh, living like you, Jesus. I won't be any of the cynicism and the failure and the greed and the weakness and the selfishness that dogs my steps now. Lord, I thank you that I'll be free from sickness and pain. I thank you, Lord, that I will be able to roam your new heavens and new earth in ways that are unimaginable to me. You said yourself, it is beyond our imagination. More than we can ask or think. It has not even entered into our imaginations what you have in store for us in the age to come. Oh Lord, we just get little tastes of it now. And Lord, even the best we experience now is literally just a little spoonful of a huge feast that awaits us. Lord, we love being part of your kingdom. It is so exciting to know that it's going to get bigger and better through eternity. We've barely started. Thank you, Jesus. We look for that new heavens. We pray, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But even as we enjoy it, Lord, we hear the tension. Lord, we know there are so many still in darkness. There are so many still imprisoned. So many headed for a godless eternity. Oh Lord, help us to bring in your kingdom now. Help us to see the prisoners set free. To see salvation and restoration and renewal and healing and wholeness and freedom coming to men and women now in this day and age.
Lord, we want to bring kingdom power, kingdom words, kingdom actions to our lives and to our place of work, our town, our city. Help us, Lord. Help us to see your kingdom come here and now as well. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the supernatural power and wisdom and strength and equipment we need. I know you want to. I know you do, Lord. Help us to walk in the Spirit and bring your kingdom in. As Paul did to say, by word and deed, yeah, with the power of the Spirit and signs and wonders, I'm telling everybody about Jesus. Oh, we want to be like that. Hallelujah. Amen.